0: Becky, thank you again for your willingness. Uh, I will call upon you when when the time when the time is right, but uh, we'll we'll get to that in just a moment. But um, I don't generally make it a point to, to put people on the spot like that. So David, thank you for for doing that for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> if I can get someone else to do it, what I'm thinking, so that's that's always helpful. So. Um, We're going to be looking at a passage this morning from 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 20 down through verse number 27. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 20 to 27. in a sermon that I've titled, Wanting More Than What You Need. Wanting More Than What You Need. 2 Kings chapter 5. Verses 20 to 27, wanting more than what you need. And this is going to close out chapter 5 for us. And we've been looking at Elisha's 10th miracle, and today we come to his 11th miracle. And you'll notice that with these two miracles, the 10th and the 11th miracle, they're very closely connected. Uh, We spent a great deal of time talking about that 10th miracle where Naaman was healed from his leprosy. And we talked about how it served as a picture of so much of what we see regarding how God deals with man. God healing Naaman provided a picture of how the gospel would be sent out to all the world. How the God of Israel brought healing to a man who, don't forget, wasn't a Jewish person, but he was from Syria. God had been using the Syrians to bring judgment upon the rebellious Israel, but in the case of Naaman, we see a picture of God's grace being extended to those beyond the house of Israel. We see glimpses of this throughout Scripture. As uh, Earlier than this, we see and read about a woman named Rahab who was spared when her city was completely destroyed. We saw it in in the widow of Zarephath with the prophet Elijah. When she, was received into, when she received into her home the prophet Elijah, uh, we read about it in the book of Jonah, where God brought deliverance to over 100,000 people through the preaching of Jonah uh, there in Nineveh. We saw it in the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, as God showed him a dream and brought Daniel to interpret the message for him. When we fast forward to the New Testament, when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, he told her in John 4, he says, Salvation is of the Jews. And then he proceeded to witness to her, and she believed on him as her Savior, and so did so many from the Samaritan town of Sychar who came out to hear and see Jesus for themselves. So in Naaman, we also see this. We see this aspect of God bringing his gospel of truth to people beyond the regions of Israel. But we also see a great picture of how a person is saved. First, we have a picture of how every sinner appears before God. And they're essentially covered in leprosy. There's nothing that they can do to reverse it. It is a debilitating, it is a a terminal illness that every single one of us have, if you want to look at it as an illness. It is something we cannot There's nothing that we can do about it to reverse it. And then we see man's self-righteousness as well as man's self-importance. As Naaman came to the prophet Elisha, expecting to be able to purchase healing as he had all sorts of gold and silver and garments to exchange for what he was hoping would bring him healing. And he had all this, but he uh, was angered, the Bible says, when Elisha failed to show him any sort of honor. And then we see that a sinner's pride needs to be destroyed, and he must humbly follow God in obedience. He must do things as God has called them to do it. He will only be saved on God's terms, and that is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And finally, we see the complete and immediate cleansing upon responding to God's word in obedience. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ, it doesn't begin a process by which you're saved 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, but you are saved immediately immediately the person who trusts in Jesus Christ as his Savior is saved. When Naaman washed in the Jordan River seven times, he came up and was immediately healed, just as a sinner is completely and immediately saved the very moment he believes on Jesus Christ. So there's so many pictures that we see here in just the story of Naaman. So we spent a great deal of time looking at this 10th miracle of of prophet Elisha. There was so much to learn, and what we'll see in the 11th miracle, these two miracles are going to be very closely tied together. Naaman had been miraculously transformed again not just outwardly he had been cured from leprosy for sure but inwardly and after desiring to show appreciation to God and to God's servant the prophet Elisha by giving them gifts he was turned down over and over he tried to really insist to give Elisha gifts and and Elisha says listen it's not not our place to take us you go home because he wanted Naaman going home knowing that God had taken only one thing from Naaman and that was his leprosy He wanted him going home knowing that God did not require any sort of gift, any sort of payment, any sort of anything in exchange for what he was going to receive. He wanted Naaman going home that God's grace was completely free and that the only thing that he took was Naaman's leprosy as well as his pride. And as we shift our focus onto the 11th miracle, someone is going to come into the spotlight once again that we haven't mentioned for a little while the servant of Elisha, the man by the name of Gehazi. This man would once again take center stage. And as we've seen thus far, it would not be for any good reason. All throughout the life and the ministry of Elisha, we have seen Gehazi intervene. We've seen him interject. And for the most part, it has not been a productive intervening. It has even come to the point where we've asked the question, why on earth does Elisha continue to keep this man around? Why is he still there? How could someone like Gehazi continue to be the way that he is after spending so much time with the prophet Elisha? Now, many of his antics have left us puzzled, and we'll see this morning that Gehazi would live up to his name. In case you've forgotten what his name is, the name Gehazi literally means Valley of Visionary, meaning that he's always looking for something more. He's never content. He's never settled on what he has. He's looking beyond what he has to what he wants, to what he could possibly get his hands on. It's not always the case that a miracle brings something positive, and this 11th miracle would not be a positive per se. But I want you to notice first the contrasts of the two miracles, the 10th miracle and the 11th miracle. Again, where we left off, Naaman had just offered Elisha all sorts of gold, silver, and garments and gifts as a token of his appreciation to God for the miracle that had been wrought in him. But Elisha refused it all. He turned him down and said, I'm not going to take any of it. And Naaman politely turned and he began heading back home to Syria. And notice what we read in verse number 20 of 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Elisha has refused this gesture from Naaman because he wanted Naaman to return to Syria understanding that God's gift of grace was a gift that is freely given and freely received. No strings attached. And now Gehazi comes up with this brilliant idea that he's going to approach Naaman. He's going to run after him as Naaman has already started his journey back home and essentially demand something from him. You know, my my master, Elisha, took it too easy on him, and I don't think he was fully thinking about everything. There is something that we could use from him. We could benefit from these things, so I'm going to chase him down on the road to Syria, and I'm going to tell him, you know what, my master changed his mind. We actually could use some of the stuff that you were offering, so how about I take some of that stuff off your hands? This is his brilliant plan. When Naaman, again, first approached Elisha, he was a heathen idolater. And the subject of this 11th miracle is the prophet's own servant. Naaman had come to the prophet seeking some relief. Gehazi was seeking Naaman, requiring something from him. Elisha, refusing the gift, was teaching Naaman the importance of God's free gift. And here we see Gehazi casting a dark cloud over the same gift that Elisha was trying to tell Naaman was free. After being healed, Naaman was seen expressing sincere gratitude for his healing as he's trying to offer to God a gift to him, and now we see a greedy and a covetous Gehazi wanting that which his master has already politely refused. Previously, we saw a man being cured of leprosy, and now we're going to see a man that is going to be smitten with that dreadful disease. Previously, we saw God's goodness acting in mercy, and now we will see God acting in holy justice. Previously, we saw the recipient of God's grace returning home to worship God, and here we're going to see a pronouncement of God's curse on a transgressor and his seed forever. Two miracles, two miracles that are so closely connected, but couldn't be more opposite. So I want you to notice, secondly, the subject of the miracle. The subject of the miracle. Now, I've already mentioned that the subject of Elisha's 11th miracle is his servant Gehazi, but there's a lot to learn about this man Gehazi. Back in chapter 4, if you want to turn back with me a couple pages, when the Shunammite woman approached Elisha after her son had died. Remember, this is the woman who, after Elisha is passing by her home, day after day, she keeps coming out and saying, listen, why don't you come in and grab something to eat? I can tell you're on a long journey. Just sit at our table. We've got dinner. It's ready. It's hot. It's warm. Just Feed your belly a little bit. Strengthen yourself for the journey ahead. And he refused and refused and refused until eventually he said, you know what? God has brought this woman into my path for a reason. I will take her up on this. And then after taking advantage of the wonderful blessing that this woman had been to, to the prophet Elijah, he blesses her and says, next year at this time, you're going to have a son. Now she has a son, but the son eventually dies when he's around seven or eight years old. And she comes and seeks him out. And this is what is recorded for us in chapter 4 that when she came to seek out um, Elisha after her son had died, it was Gehazi who tried to pull the woman away from the prophet. Look back at verse number 27 of 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, And when she, this is the mother who's just lost her son. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. So you can picture this woman who is absolutely devastated. Her son has just died and this was not supposed to be the way it was supposed to happen. He was seven, eight years old at best and he's dead. And so she runs back to the man who promised her that she would have a son in the first place. And she's grabbing him by the feet and it says in verse 27, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. Now, Ruthie's out of the room right now, uh, and I'm not going to her, talk about her in any sort of ill way. I never would. But in a very positive way, I will say that there are times where she gets into what we call mama bear mode. Moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you get defensive when something is going to be done about your children, something negative, when they're being threatened in some sort of way, when some outside influence is trying to come at them. Moms, can you attest to this, that you can get to another level where you don't typically see yourself, but you get very protective, overbearing, and you want to make sure that your children are kept safe in all the circumstances they're in. but there are some things that cause you to get into another level, where we referred into our house as mama bear mode. And and, and I'll tell you something, we don't see it all that often, but when we see it, get out of her way because mama bear is coming and she's going to make sure that her kids are taken care of. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm just sitting back and watching everything happen without doing anything myself. I'm there as well. So I don't want you to think that I'm not there. But you have a mama bear here who's just lost her son. And she is running to the one who said that she would have a son in the first place. And now the son is dead. And she knows this is the one person who can do something about her. And she is catching him by the feet. While the servant of God, the servant of the Elisha, the man of God, Gehazi, is coming and trying to thrust her away. Moms, how would that go? Not good, right? Not good. She's trying to pull him away. And after this, Elisha would then go on to instruct Gehazi to go before them. He said, here's my staff. Go lay the staff upon the face of the child. And nothing happened though. Nothing happened as Gehazi went ahead and laid the staff upon the face of the child. Elisha was able to part the waters of the Jordan River with the mantle of the prophet Elijah because the spirit of Elijah rested upon Elisha. Gehazi, not having the spirit of God, found that the prophet's staff was of no avail in his his powerless and prayerless hands. And later on, when Elisha was approached by another man who brought him food at a time of famine, it was Gehazi who took issue with Elisha for wanting to give the food away. Look at what we read later on in chapter 4 in verse number 43. It says, and his servitor, which is Gehazi, said, what should I set this before an hundred men? And Elisha says, Give the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat, and, they shall, and shall leave thereof. So a man comes and brings Elisha food at a time of famine, and Elisha is appreciative. He takes it, and he tells Gehazi, Give this to the men. Give this to the people. And Gehazi is thinking, oh, Hold on here. First of all, this is not enough to feed 100 people. And secondly, you know, we could probably benefit from this ourselves. It's a time of famine. There's not a lot of food to go around, so what are you thinking? And Elisha tells him, Do what I said, give them the food, there shall be leftovers. And sure enough, we know that it was. But see, Gehazi couldn't see how such little food would be enough to feed a hundred men. While Elisha was trusting in the miracle working power of God to make the food that seems to be so little to be enough. And as much as there was such a contrast between Gehazi and Naaman, it was also the case between Gehazi and Elisha. Many believe that Gehazi was supposed to be to Elisha what Elisha was to Elijah. As a servant to the man of God, Gehazi should have been a good man. But what we see is that a holy man of God, Elisha, had an unholy servant, Gehazi. Elisha was living a vibrant spiritual life, content with all that God had given him. And it was evident. And Gehazi was trying to find some satisfaction and contentment in the things of the earth, which, as you've all found out, is never going to last. Because when you find a momentary satisfaction and get momentary contentment, you eventually find that it fades and it wears off, and you need to set your sights on something else, and then something else, then something else, and something else, because it is never lasting satisfaction that we find in the things of this world. Gehazi was familiar with spiritual things, but he was a complete stranger to the power of spiritual things. Gehazi was more concerned with outward observances than any sort of inward change. He lived and was surrounded by God-fearing people. He even had a, a good knowledge of God and what God can do, and yet he allowed himself to be blinded by all the things that were out in the world instead of being influenced by all the spiritual things that God had put right around him. It seems hard to believe that someone in such a close proximity with a man like Elisha for as long as he was would not also grow to appreciate and understand God more, especially with all the miracles that he's witnessed. It's sad to see that in all that he was privileged to behold, he never understood what it was to be a true servant of God. He failed to understand and even appreciate both the character and the conduct of the prophet Elisha, the one that he was ministering to. Now, we're not told about Gehazi's upbringing, But based on the way that he conducts himself here on the pages of Scripture, we can draw some conclusions. This man was driven by the pursuit of worldly things. He was evidently consumed with evil and worldly thoughts, which led to greed, which led to lying in order to get dishonest gain and hypocrisy to increase his wealth. While that lifestyle probably paid off in the interim, that was not a sustainable lifestyle. And it would not lead to any sort of positive end. We're told in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. You may be enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season and you may be feeling like you're profiting and you're benefiting from all of that. But eventually the Bible says that sin is going to find you out. And it is going to be like the rug is pulled right out from underneath you, that you're going to fall right off from that high horse that you want. You're going to fall flat on your face, and God is going to humble you who was so high and mighty that you thought even of yourself as untouchable. And here is Gehazi, thinking that this is a, a sustainable way to live, to get dishonest gain, to use hypocrisy to increase his wealth but it would not lead to a, a positive end. Even if we're able to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, that season will eventually come to an end and I promise you it will cost you dearly. Naaman was driven by this pleasure of sin and was always looking for more. More opportunities for self-advancement, more opportunities for, uh, to increase his wealth, more opportunities to look better but for Naaman, things changed as God humbled him. Gehazi was not that case. He must have thought that Elisha, being more of a minimalist, was crazy, especially for turning down such a huge gift from Naaman. Gehazi had this wild imagination that he was almost enslaved, enslaved by it, which led him to believe that he could have so much more and that he could be better off with so much more. In fact, he would come up with this elaborate story here in 2 Kings chapter 5, this elaborate story to go and to tell Naaman in order to get Naaman to give him some of the gifts that Elisha had previously refused. And it makes you wonder how different things might have been had Gehazi used those efforts and that creativity for good. He was so ingenious in inventing this lie and the cleverness in telling it revealed just how lost he really was. He was Gehazi was no fool intellectually. But his heart was driven by all the wrong passions, by all the wrong desires. And he was a slave to it. He was successful, but at a dreadful cost. He was a servant of the prophet Elisha, and he had successfully concocted this lie, which got him paid a significant amount of money. But consider the cost. He would lose his health, for he would become a leper, and the judgment that he felt was a just judgment. But it didn't end there, because Gehazi's action also brought this wretchedness not just to himself, but to his entire family. Rather than being able to leave his ill-gotten gains to his descendants, they received something from him that they never wished they would have ever gotten. And notice third, the occasion of the miracle. The occasion of the miracle. Look back at verse number 20 here in 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought, But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. It was back in verse number 5 of chapter 5 where before Naaman left Syria for Israel, he brought with him all sorts of treasures, thinking that he could offer all this in exchange for his healing. Look back at what it says in verse number 5 of chapter 5. So this is after that the little maid who he's taken captive has told him that there is a healer, there's a prophet in Samaria that can bring him healing. Verse number five says, and the king of Syria said, go to, go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. Brings also all this treasure with him to essentially pay in exchange for his healing. But as we saw in verses 15 and 16, when Naaman offered these gifts to Elisha, he politely refused, even after Naaman continued to urge and insist that he take them. Naaman had been so appreciative for the change that God had wrought in him that he wanted to do something to express his gratitude. But again, Elisha would have Naaman returning to Syria knowing that the only thing that God had taken from him was his leprosy and his pride. Elisha didn't want even the slightest possibility of Naaman thinking that God required something of him in exchange for his healing. And as a new believer, this is so incredibly important. The last thing that Naaman needed as a new believer was a wrong view of God. And therefore, he would return home with everything that he first brought with him when he first left Syria. It goes to show how much Naaman valued all those riches because he was willing to give it all up, recognizing the work that God had done in him was completely priceless. And the treasures he had with him were completely expendable. He didn't want to return with them. He didn't want to come back to Syria with him. He wanted God to have them because they meant so little to him now in comparison to what God had just done for him. And such was not the case, though, with Gehazi. Turning away Naaman's gift was more than what a covetous heart of Gehazi could bear. From the moment that he laid eyes on him, he's seeing dollar signs. He is just, wow, would you look at all of that. And Elisha says, no thanks, Naaman. Gehazi's probably thinking, man, if you..." takes a little bit we can do so much with that he's probably like trying to will the prophet elijah to say yes you know like trying to telepathically tell elijah just 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 take something he's standing in the background trying to do this and elijah says naaman go home we don't need any of it we're not taking any of it god is not going to take any of the gifts you've given he's freely given you grace go home freely receive it be on your way and there is Uh, Gehazi in the background just crumbling, wishing that he could get his hands on just a little bit of the treasures that Naaman was offering. But he wouldn't have any of it. Inwardly, he was eager. While Naaman and Elisha spoke in verses 15 and 16, Gehazi was thinking about how he was going to spend all that money. Naaman was wanting to give money as a token to God for his appreciation. Elisha knew that it wasn't going to be offered as a payment. He wasn't going to take any of it. But both of those men, Elisha and Naaman, as they're discussing whether or not he's going to take the money, both of them were focused on the fact that if any money was going to exchange hands, it would be for the Lord. They were at least, these two men, Naaman and Elisha, were in agreement that it was going to be to the Lord. And here you have Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, who is thinking, what can I do to get in on this? Man, I hope he asks me next. Because I could think of at least a dozen things that I could do with that money. If Elijah doesn't want it, I can easily take it off his hands. I could think of a hundred things that I can do with that money. If Naaman doesn't want it, I can easily take it off his hands. I could seriously use a new chariot. I hear these new models come with Bluetooth capabilities. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a new chariot. Naaman and Elisha were thinking about how God would be honored. And all Gehazi is thinking about is how he could honor himself. God wasn't on his radar, despite the fact that he was servant to the man of God. It's not as uncommon as you might think, though, where someone who has everything they need around them for the utmost spiritual growth and maturity, that they are hopelessly lost and misdirected. Gehazi had everything he needed to follow in Elisha's footsteps and be a God-fearing man as his servant was. But rather than surrendering his heart over to God, as Naaman had just done, he saw this man do a complete 180. He allowed the wicked passions of his heart to consume him. Though the truth was right there in front of him, he was blinded by a covetous heart that was always wanting more than what he had. And isn't the case, isn't that the case with covetousness that nothing is ever enough? Nothing is ever enough. Covetous people tell themselves that they'll be finally content if they can just get a little bit more. And then they get that little bit more, and it's just, oh, a little bit more than that. And then a little bit more than that, a little bit more. Where does it ever end? It never ends because your heart keeps telling you, "Oh, well, if you had a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Contentment always eludes them because true and lasting satisfaction is never going to be found in the things of this world. There may be some temporary satisfaction that you find, but it's eventually going to fade and your sights will need to be set on something else that are certain is what your life is missing. But when you get that, it's still going to fade. The world feeds off of this mindset. And that is why they have new models of everything. Every year there's a new model of something else. Oh, you just bought a brand new car. Congratulations. You've driven it off the lot. It's already old. We've got a brand new model right here. That's how quickly things change. Oh, you just got a new phone. Oh, congratulations. There's already a new model that's come out with a better camera and more storage space. And man, there's fancy new colors more than what you and your old phone now have even though it's only five minutes old. Oh, you know, those, the, the, those shoes of yours are, are looking kind of tired, not to mention that they're no longer in style. It's probably time that you upgraded your shoes to include something that's a little more fashionable. And keep in mind, what is fashionable today will not be fashionable tomorrow, so you'll have to keep keeping up. Some of you are looking at your shoes right now and seeing that they're kind of old and tired. And while you're at it, you might as well update your entire wardrobe, too, because as long as we're talking about shoes, trends and fads change every single week. So, you know what? Yeah, this this dude's kind of getting tired. I should get something new, something fancy, maybe something really brightly colored. Um, I saw a guy on an... uh, Never mind. I don't even have to get into it. Okay. Trends and fads change all the time. When I was a kid, I was convinced that I could get shoes that could make me run faster and jump higher. I was convinced of that. Anyone else convinced of that when you were a kid, that you could get shoes that could make you run faster and jump higher? Absolutely. And that is why I, I, my my parents never got me those shoes, unfortunately. They apparently didn't want me running faster and jumping higher. So they never bought me those shoes, and that is why I was never able to play professional basketball. (laughs) I never had the right shoes. If I had the right shoes, I wouldn't be behind this pulpit. You'd be watching me on television. Praise the Lord for the wrong shoes. But those shoes could have changed my life. And that's the mindset that the covetous person has. They feed off of what the world tells them is good and how all this stuff is going to benefit them and make their lives better. And they buy into it and they're consumed by that mindset. The list goes on and on and on of all the stuff the world uses to draw our attention. And all they're doing is they're drawing your attention away from where it needs to be, and that is on God. And they're fantastic at doing just that. We're making idols out of all the stuff around us rather than worshiping the one who has created all of it. Elisha and Naaman were seeking to honor God And Gehazi can't stop thinking about how much money there is. Yes, yes, of course, honor God. But do you see how much money there is? We would never have to worry about getting alone, scrounging for money, or having to deal with things that are old because we'll just buy all brand new things. Elisha, we can take care of so much around here with that money. Gehazi is out of his mind. But he actually ends up convincing himself that what he's secretly planning is good. Look back at verse number 20 again. It says, But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Every part of this verse seems to reveal something telling about Gehazi. It starts off with the words, But Gehazi as if to establish this clear contrast between the miracle that has just taken place with Naaman being healed and saved. And then the verse goes on to describe Gehazi. It says, as the servant of Elisha, the man of God. It'd be bad enough if it just said the servant of Elisha, but adding those words, the man of God, to the end of that, just add the enormity of his sin. First of all, it calls attention to the greatness of the privilege that he enjoyed. Not just a servant of Elisha, but servant of Elisha, the man of God. What a privilege Gehazi had. Being in such close fellowship with Elisha, the man of God. Think of all that he had the opportunity to learn from Elisha and everything he had the opportunity to observe. You can't ask for a better classroom to be a part of as God spoke directly through Elisha and used him to do some truly incredible miracles. This made Gehazi's sin that much worse because he was someone who knew better. There was no excuse for these actions and these thoughts here in verse number 20 of chapter 5. This was not the sin of an ignorant person who didn't know better. This was the well-constructed plan of a person who was taught in the ways of righteousness. But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman. I'm going to go ask for some things. So second. It emphasizes the enormity of this sin as it reflects on, on, seriously, on the official character of the one who employed him. Now, think about this. This is a reflection on Elijah, right? We read in James chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says in James 3 verse 1, it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, the sins of those in sacred positions— or of those who those who associate with them are far greater than those of others. Now, every one of us, every single one of us are going to be accountable to God one day, but God is going to hold me personally to a higher standard because he has ordained me to be his under-shepherd here at Latham Bible Baptist Church. And if I preach or if I teach anything that is contrary to the word of God, and if I seek to draw others away from this truth and that is only spelled out for us here in the word of God, You better believe that my consequences are going to be far more severe. I'm responsible for the people that God leads here, and that is why I will constantly be urging you to be reading and to be memorizing scripture, to be soul-winning, to be sharing the gospel, and living in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God. I want you to be doing all of that because it will benefit you to have a much closer and much more personal walk with the Lord. But I'll be honest with you, it also stands to benefit me as well. How would it look if no one in the church read their Bible? If no one in this church practiced personal evangelism? If no one in this church had a heart for soul winning? If no one in this church lived for God? And if everyone just went home and lived for themselves? How would it look if we were all this way? How would it reflect on me as the pastor? If everyone outside of this church knew about what happened here at Latham Bible Baptist Church, that, yeah, they just live for themselves. I see these people at the bars every day. I see them in places that they have no business being in. I know what they do. They talk the big talk, but no one really follows through with what they're doing there in that church because I see how they are Monday through Saturday, and they're all hypocrites. If I, as the pastor, was doing everything I should, but you were all ignoring the teaching from God's word, what does that say about how you view the pastor? What does that say about how you view the word of God? What does that say how you view God himself? Now, as we see with Gehazi, he had no concern for the glory of God. So he cared nothing for the reputation of the prophet Elijah. It is further evident in what he said to himself there in verse number 20. Again, he says, Behold, this is him talking to himself. Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Behold, my master hath spared Naaman. He felt that Elisha had missed a golden opportunity and he was determined to come up with a plan to capitalize on a situation where Elisha had dropped the ball. What made it worse was that he justified this by making it seem as if God was in favor of these actions. He says, as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. God is going to be pleased with me as I do this. There was no honor or fear of God in this. Instead, he defiantly took God's name in vain. And notice what we read in verse number 21. Verse 21 says, So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he he lighted down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, Is all well? Is all well? We notice here the free will of man acting on his own selfish efforts, but we also see the sovereignty of God who could have stopped him. God could have allowed Naaman to be too far down the road for Gehazi to catch up to him and allowed all sorts of obstacles to be in Gehazi's way from ever getting to him. He could have made it, that it was never happened. But God allowed him to catch up to Naaman. Even though God knows that our pursuits of sin will bring us harm, there comes a time where God gives people to the desires of their wicked hearts, as he did here with Gehazi. What we see from Naaman at the end of verse number 21 is more evidence of the change that has been wrought in him, a man that has truly seen and believed in God. As he comes down from his chariot to meet Gehazi, expressing concern, again, he says, is all well. He sees him running to him, stops the chariot, gets down and goes and meets him, says, is everything okay? And notice fourth, the aggravation of the miracle. The aggravation of the miracle. Look at verse number 22. So Naaman gets down from his chariot, sees Gehazi running to him and says, it's all well. Verse 22, and he said, this is Gehazi responding, all is well. My master has sent me saying, behold, even now there come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray, the talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Gehazi is just adding sin upon sin here. It was bad enough that he was coveting this treasure in the first place, which again, Elijah says, it's not for us. I understand that you want to give it to God, but God wants wants you to go home knowing that he's charged nothing on your account. He's taken it all away. And then Gehazi deliberately pursues Naaman, running after him, and then lies about why he needs the stuff. And what a lie it was. Man, this guy makes himself out to be a saint. Oh, it's not for me. You know, it just occurred to my master, Elisha, that, you know, we do have some guests that are coming in and, and we just don't have the supplies. We don't have the resources to take care of these people. So could you help us out so that we can help them out? I'm really trying to be a benefit to others. Wow! What a liar this guy is. Ingenious. Right? Who's going to deny that? It's crazy to see what lengths covetous people will go to in order that they might feed their wicked heart. My master has sent me to do this. And notice how Naaman responds in verse number 23. It says, and Naaman said, be content, take two talents of silver. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bear them before him. Naaman doesn't think twice about it, right? He was all ready to give it all to Elisha. Elisha said, no not taking any of it. So he was more than happy to give this to Gehazi. I will say that there is some wisdom in being cautious of what you give out to those that are in need. Use wisdom. Use wisdom, use discretion to what you give out because there are plenty of people that will take advantage of the generosity of others. And the last thing we want to do is encourage idleness. The last thing we want to do is to allow ourselves to be deceived by a smooth tongue. And look at what we read in verse number 24. So Naaman gives Gehazi double of what he's asking for. And in verse number 24, it says, when he came to the tower, he took them from their hands. So this is Gehazi taking the stuff from the helpers that are basically sent with Naaman, or sent from Naaman to go and deliver the stuff because there's too much weight. He can't carry all the goods. This is how much he's bringing home with him. It says he bestowed him in the house and he let the men go and they departed. Gehazi was careful to make sure that he was secretive about everything that he was doing, secretive about where he's hiding this treasure, and probably thought highly of himself that he has successfully pulled this off. Man, he is just probably on cloud nine at this moment. Can't believe I just pulled this off. Wow. And then we read verse 25. Be sure your sin will find you out. Right? Verse 25. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, thy servant went no whither. Well, at least he's consistent with the lying part, right? He comes inside and he's pretending to be a faithful servant. And he, cam- he comes and he appears before the prophet Elisha to await any sort of instructions that he may have from him. The sad part is that Elisha gives him an opportunity to confess. He gives an opportunity to come clean. Whence comest thou, Gehazi? What have you been up to? Where have you been? But Gehazi was going to continue down this path of deception and lying to Elisha now. Notice fifth, the justice of the miracle. Look at verses 26 and 27. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money? And to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. I believe that God grants some believers with the gift of discernment to the point where they can tell when people are lying to them, as good a liar as they may be. Elisha had the unique position of also being a prophet of God and God enabled him to see what was really going on here and he called Gehazi out for what he had done specifically singling out the worst aspect of the offense. He says, is it a time to receive money? Is it a time to receive money? He says, for crying out loud, there's nothing bad with getting a gift, but it wasn't the time for it. Are you that foolish that you missed the reason why I turned the man down from the gift that he was giving? Of course we could use the money. Of course there are repairs that we can make around here. Of course that could have benefited us tremendously. But I turned it down because there was a greater mission. This man needed to go home knowing that the grace of God was freely given and freely received. He didn't need to go home thinking that there was a requirement, that he needed to give something to God, that there was anything that God required of him other than just his complete obedience. Are you this crazy? You know, there there are some times where you think something would have happened, and if I was there, I'm glad I wasn't there, and God knew it wasn't good for me to be there, because I would have grabbed him and I would have smacked him around a few times. I would have. I believe that violence is the answer sometimes. He would have gone home not just a leper, but bruised. Maybe even in the hospital. What a fool! What a fool! A new believer who's just so excited about what God has done, wants to show appreciation and gratitude to God, and an Elisha, smart enough, discerning enough to know that how easy it is for the simple-minded, brand-new believer to be having a wrong view of God said, no, Naaman, I appreciate it. But you go home with everything that you brought, and you go home and you remember You remember the God of Israel, that he changed your life and he changed your life completely, gave you a brand new life and all he did was require complete obedience and you did that, you washed seven times and look at you now. Praise God every day of your life. Praise him for the gifts that he has given to you. Don't ever think that he required payment. Don't ever think that a gift needed to be reciprocated in order for you to be equaling what God has done for you. You go home, and you remember God's grace is free. God's grace is free. And then here is Gehazi wanting to benefit himself. And the most important lesson, he says, is it a time to receive money? Insisting that there is a the right time to receive money, he says, it wasn't now. It wasn't now. From this verse, we see how Gehazi was even planning on using the money. It says there, he says, Is there a time to receive money to, to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? He's planning to have this huge establishment, this huge farm. Elisha knows what he's planning on using the money for. He says, Yeah, it'd be great to have this huge farm, right? It'd be, it'd be great to have vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants. servants. Boy, what a fine orchard you may have one day. But it's not the time this is not the way it's going to be. He had coveted something of Naaman's and he would receive that which which pictured the polluted state of his soul, the leprosy. And notice six, the significance of the miracle. Now some might look at the story and call it poetic justice, right? That Naaman is cured from leprosy, Gehazi is smitten with this dreadful disease. God was punishing Gehazi Because Gehazi had compromised the display of God's free gift of grace. It was not the time. And notice seventh, finally, the lesson of the miracle. There is a real big danger in feeding the desires of your covetous heart. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10, probably a very familiar verse. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We must be like the psalmist who prayed in Psalm 119 and verse 37. Psalm 119, verse 37, the psalmist prayed, says, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. The more we're looking away from God, the more we're going to be seeking things other than God. The more we're going to be trying to find satisfaction apart from God, which will only bring on pain and heartache. There is a solemn warning here against also putting a stumbling block before those who are new believers. Naaman is a brand new believer in God, and the reason why Elisha refused any of his gifts was because he didn't want Naaman thinking, even in the least, that God could be paid for the grace that he had given out. Christ taught in Matthew 18, verse number 6. He said, But whoso shall, offend any, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. And that is how seriously God treats misleading babes in Christ exactly why he dealt with Gehazi so severely. You think, well, isn't that too much over the top? No. In fact, God was merciful. God was merciful in allowing this man to continue to live. And finally, there's a lesson in this for us who are engaged in the service of the Lord, that we seek to please God and not get the praise of men. Gehazi was focused on self-glorification rather than honoring and glorifying God. Even as two men are in front of him, Naaman and Elisha, seeking to glorify God in the gifts that are being given. Gehazi was so so focused on self-glorification that honoring and glorifying God wasn't anywhere on his radar. When you're focused on God, when you're walking in his way, you'll be content with what God has given you and not concerned with wanting more than what you need. Would you bow with me in prayer at this time? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we get some stern reminders of where our hearts should be. Lord, you have told us very clearly not to lay up treasures for ourselves where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves can break in and steal. Lord, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Lord, help us to not be covetous, especially of the things of this world that offer no lasting satisfaction. But Lord, help us to be content in what you have given to us. Because Lord, if we're trusting daily in you, we are giving, we are receiving all that we will ever need. Lord, I pray that you would work on each and every one of our hearts, that we might see you, that we might grow to appreciate who you are and what you've done for us every single day.